0: What's going on guys thank you so very much for joining me right here on off the script this is episode 449 for your october 23rd 2022 i am jd from new york as always coming to you live from the ots venue thank you guys so very much for joining me on your sunday afternoons wherever you may be we have a lot to get into today to close out your weeks, man, we did AEW news yesterday on episode 448. If you guys missed that content, go and check it out. It's on the homepage right now. I decided when I got back from my vacation, I was going to split the AEW and WWE news up into two separate podcasts. I didn't want to sit here live on a Sunday night. In the middle of all these playoff games for Major League Baseball and Sunday Night Football, I didn't want to sit here for four hours. I just wanted to kind of unwind and relax to close out the week. So I gave you guys a podcast yesterday, and I'm giving you guys another one today. And we split it up for this week only. So if you guys want to go check out the AEW news, there's plenty of it. A lot of juicy information there. Go check that out. It's on the homepage. And today... We're going to talk wwe i got a follow-up on the entire triple h wanting cm punk back in wwe i know a lot of people are making videos about it a lot of people are speculating and throwing news and rumors and dirt out there i got all the latest for you on if that's even close to being a reality or a possibility I got major updates on that. So we're going to go over that today as far as the big story on off the script. WWE changing their premium live event calendar going into 2023. I will talk about that. Potentially King of the Ring coming back, which I've talked about for several years. If you guys have been with me for any amount of time, you know how I feel about King of the Ring being brought back. WWE canceling day one. That concept is now finished. I got news on Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows coming back to WWE. What was the situation with them? And what is going to happen with them now being back in the WWE? Triple H talks about Bray Wyatt and the cryptic QR codes and how successful that was. We'll go over that. And we'll round it out with some news and rumors coming out of last night's. Not really all that good, but somewhat good nxt halloween havoc premium live event i got news and rumors coming out of that as well so thank you guys so very much for joining me on your sunday afternoons listen follow me on social media man it's gonna be a busy week it's gonna be a very a very busy week go on social media follow me on twitter at jd from ny206 that's twitter instagram TikTok, and cameo links are down below in the description of this very video i would appreciate it if you guys hit the subscribe button down below turn on the bell for all notifications Make sure you guys are in the know about when I go live and when I upload videos such as this. So make sure you guys hit that subscribe button. And please do turn on that bell for all notifications. I'm going to need you to hit that thumbs up as well because it greatly helps out the channel, man. I need a thousand likes. And I know we'll get there, but I need a thousand likes, if not more, minimum, right here on today's episode 449. 449. Make sure you guys go check out all the other videos on the channel. It's on the homepage, like I said, yesterday's podcast, 448. And then we were live on Friday night for SmackDown. And then again, Saturday night with the NXT Halloween Havoc post show right here on OTS. If you guys want my all, all my thoughts on everything that came out of both SmackDown and NXT Halloween Havoc, go check out those post shows. They are live on the homepage. And today's show is sponsored by my great friends over at Audible audibletrial.com slash script. You guys are going to get 30 days free of their service, and that includes one free audio book on the house. Who doesn't like shit for free, man? audibletrial.com slash script. 30 days free, and you're going to get that one free audio book. Let's start at the top, man. We got news on WWE premium live events. This is pretty exciting stuff. WWE is planning, potentially, An annual premium live event in the United Kingdom. Now, we all know how successful Clash of the Castle was. I thought Clash of the Castle was actually better than WrestleMania. I thought Clash of the Castle was very NXT TakeOver-esque with what Triple H did. Six matches, quality over quantity. It didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, Everything on the show was basically top-tier quality. And the crowd, my goodness, the crowd, man, over 60,000 people, some of those crowds, when you go overseas, normally, you know, the time limits and the time restraints of WWE when they can do their shows, I don't mind an afternoon show, especially if it's like that. That was always WWE's holdup. All the time, the time difference, the time zone problem. I don't find that to be an issue anymore. Not when you fit 66,000 people inside Principality Stadium in Cardiff, Wales. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And the crowd was hot all night. You're not gonna find that energy anywhere else, anywhere in the world. I wish that WWE could bottle that up and take it with them everywhere they go. Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, the big selling point of that. That was the main event of Clash of the Castle. It was the first major pay-per-view for the WWE in the United Kingdom since 1992's SummerSlam with Bret the Hitman Hart main eventing against the British Bulldog. For the Intercontinental Championship. The show happened in September at Principality Stadium in Cardiff, Wales. The finish of the main event featured the main roster debut of Solo Sokoa helping out Roman Reigns by getting involved and helping him beat Drew McIntyre. The show was something that the fans in the UK had requested for years and was a big success for the company. And it looks like UK fans may be in for more events like that in the future as WWE looks to make changes to his premium live event calendar in 2023. In the latest edition of Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Meltzer reported that there are a lot of pay-per-view changes rumored for 2023, which include the idea of doing one pay-per-view per per year from the United Kingdom to go along with the two Saudi Arabia shows. The other change seems to be less gimmick-named pay-per-view shows, which is absolutely fucking music to my ears. And I know... You guys are the same way. As previously reported, WWE has considered bringing back a gimmick tournament that could be used as a stand-alone event. (laughs) King of the ring. Now, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Changes to the schedule come after WWE had canceled the planned second edition of its day one premium live events in January. This is incredible news. This is actually now starting to feel like a completely different WWE if not already being felt by what you've seen on television and the way Triple H has handled the booking on Monday Night Raw and handled the booking on Friday Night SmackDown. Now we're dipping into the pay-per-view schedule, which is something that needed to be changed absolutely time and time and time again. We talked about it needed to be changed absolutely overhauled which Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard did not do because they didn't want to be put in a position where they felt like they were wrong or Vince didn't want to go back on what he felt was right because he didn't want to use a war games or use a Halloween Havoc or a Starcade because those aren't WWE-branded shows. He didn't come up with them. He didn't create them. So why would he use them on pay-per-view for WWE? Now we're talking about getting rid of gimmick pay-per-views. Now we're talking about WWE holding a UK show once every year. Now we're talking about, after how many videos have I talked about this, WWE potentially bringing back King of the Ring. I love it. I absolutely love it, and it's something that absolutely, desperately needed to happen for the WWE pay-per-view schedule. Now, Fightful Select reports that, WWE is also planning an NXT premium live event. I'm going to talk about this, and then we're going to get back into the WWE swing of things with King of the Ring and them canceling day one. But I want to make sure you guys are aware of this since we just got out of Halloween Havoc. WWE's planning another premium live event for NXT. This is on December 10th. It is listed internally as NXT Deadline. That is the new pay-per-view concept that they're coming up with for NXT. And deadline is, in fact, confirmed coming out of the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view for December 10th. The official name was announced last night, and this is the same day as Ring of Honor Final Battle, which they will be on pay-per-view live earlier in that afternoon, and NXT will air at 8 p.m. like it usually does on that same night. The plan is to hold the event at the WWE Performance Center, and it's expected to be announced Obviously, it was announced on Halloween Havoc, and it's going to be on pay-per-view December 10th. WWE previously held Stand and Deliver at the beginning of April on WrestleMania weekend in your house for NXT in June. Obviously, we just got done with Halloween Havoc, and now we have NXT deadline on December 10th. Now, I know that Tony Khan announced Final Battle on Tuesday. WWE had trademarked deadline uh, in the last five or six days or so. I don't know if you guys feel the same way that I do, but clearly, and I mentioned this on yesterday's show, because this is exactly what is happening. WWE is blatantly trying to push AEW and Ring of Honor's backs against the wall. That's exactly what they're doing. NXT could have had any other Saturday or Sunday in the entire month of December. WWE right now has no pay-per-views for the main roster at all in the month of December because they're canceling gimmick pay-per-views and TLC would usually fall in December and they're getting rid of all their gimmick pay-per-views. So right now coming out of Survivor Series, there is no pay-per-view after Survivor Series until the Royal Rumble. So we're getting rid of TLC, we're getting rid of day one and then the only pay-per-view in January to kick off... 2023, and begin the road to WrestleMania will be the Royal Rumble. So you mean to tell me that WWE can't pick any other Saturday and Sunday? They have to pick that Saturday or Sunday that Ring of Honor final battle is going to take place on. If that's not done by design and by purpose, I I don't know what to tell you. Uh, This is is the game. Triple H is playing the game. WWE is playing the game. Tony Khan complained about this at the All Out media scrum saying that with Worlds Collide and then Clash of the Castle happening in the same weekend that All Out was taking place it definitely hurt his business and definitely hurt their numbers. Now I don't know why he would go on a public platform and express that because I feel like it express weakness or it expresses weakness, but I don't know why he would need to divulge that type of information. It's only going to open up people to troll him and criticize him and laugh at him and mock him and then WWE snive- sniveling in the fucking corner somewhere, laughing, ha, 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 we got him. We got him, we're gonna do it again. You know, that's, that's their mentality. That, this is what gets them off. So WWE absolutely doing it on purpose. Meanwhile, we know why they're doing it but we can also question, listen, I mean, they don't need to take place on the same day. They can have any other Saturday or Sunday in the month of December because none of their calendar is filled in the month of December. Why, why do you have to step on Ring of Honor's toes? But this is WWE and what we said yesterday. This is WWE not playing well with others. They're in the competitive mindset now. They have a vendetta to go after Tony Khan and AEW, and that's exactly what they're going to do. And if they have to go after Tony Khan, they can't get to AEW. They're certainly going to Go after Ring of Honor. So that's exactly what's happening there. It's a little pathetic. It's a little lame and petty. But this is Triple H. And you're going to expect to see this more and more and more. And like I said, Tony Khan needs to play the game right back to Triple H. Because if he's being bullied and this pettiness is happening on one side, Tony Khan should definitely play that petty game right back to WWE. Day one, canceled. Day one is canceled. WWE will not be moving forward with the tradition that is, uh, or the one-year tradition that was day one. It has been canceled, and I'm glad to see it go. According to Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics, WWE will not be presenting the event. As of right now, there will be no premium live event between Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble. Now, obviously, that could change, but right now, there is no pay-per-view coming out of Survivor Series until we get to the Royal Rumble. Day one... Uh, took place in January of this year, the first ever day one show from the State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. The main event saw Brock Lesnar become the new WWE champion after beating Big E, Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins, and Kevin Owens in a fatal five-way. He was supposed to wrestle Roman Reigns, but Roman Reigns, before that show, caught COVID, and they didn't know what to do with Brock, so they decided to put him in the WWE Championship match, making that a fatal five-way instead of a fatal four-way and he walked out of the event as the WWE champion, basically basically stamping an exclamation point on how terrible Big East title run was booked by Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard. On that card also, Becky Lynch defeated Liv Morgan, and the Usos retained the tag team titles, which I remember being a great match. All their matches are usually very good against the New Day. Good, get rid of it. It's a gimmick pay-per-view. It was a gimmick pay-per-view, Not in the same vein or not in the same sense as TLC or Elimination Chamber or Hell in a Cell, but it was a gimmick pay-per-view because it would always have to correlate on January 1, right? Day 1, January 1. So this was a Nick Khan idea that they clearly did not think fully through because it's fine if New Year's Day falls on a Saturday or Sunday. I don't mind the pay-per-view on a Saturday or Sunday. I actually prefer Saturday because... Sunday, people go to work, and it's late, and, you know, all that other nonsense, but Saturday has been fine, but WWE really didn't think this through, because this year, New Year's fell on a Saturday, and now in 2023, to kick off the new year, it's going to fall on a Sunday. What happens if WWE wants to continue the tradition of day one? In 2024, New Year's Day would fall on a Monday. They can't have a pay-per-view on a Monday, And you can't call a pay-per-view on January 7th, day one, because it's January 7th. It's not January 1. You can't call the pay-per-view day one when the pay-per-view takes place on December 31st or December 30th, right? It's not New Year's Day. It's not day one. So clearly they didn't think this shit through. And day one is now canceled. It was a gimmick pay-per-view without actually being a gimmick pay-per-view. Get rid of it. Get it out. And I'm glad it's gone. WWE is not having a pay-per-view. And I I always found it to be ridiculous that they opted to have two pay-per-views in the month of January. It's so stupid. They did the same thing with New Year's Revolution and whatever other concept they want to come up with. We don't need two pay-per-views in a single month. I honestly think that's a little overkill. And I am fine with quality over quantity. One of the things that I've always talked about is that WWE could operate with less pay-per-views. Now, I know that they can't because they have a contract with Peacock, and Peacock wants all the content that they can get from WWE. So, you know, you're stuck with 12 to 13 pay-per-views in the single calendar year, but I've always felt that they don't need a pay-per-view every month, let alone two pay-per-views in some months. So I'm glad that it's gone. And I'll talk about what I do think that WWE could potentially do with the void that they have now left in December. They are making major changes to the pay-per-view schedule in 2023. Brian Alvarez reported that WWE officially scrapped day one. That was the first thing that needed to be done. Alvarez also noted that there will likely be more international shows and less gimmick pay-per-views. If that is the case, then we will see less shows such as Extreme Rules and Hell in a Cell. TLC could potentially be gone. Elimination Chamber could be gone as well. No other details are available right now because this is obviously still a work in progress, and this is the latest change to the Vince McMahon era and the Vince McMahon way of doing things. Triple H is just slowly changing things, and he's going to roll out changes gradually so that the shareholders are a little at ease and they're not being bombarded with change here and change there and change there, which is going to set off a string of uncertainty, people need to take this in slowly and kind of digest it as it comes in. We don't need six, seven, eight different things coming out of the Triple H administration to kind of rattle the shareholders there. So this is one of those things that absolutely needed to be changed, and it's going to be a thought process moving forward, and it's going to roll out next year. So as long as we got the gist of it, I am okay when it does happen. Now, no other details are available about any of this. Several names uh, have been brought back in the last couple of months, and there have been several changes made to the weekly shows, and it looks like 2023 could see additional big changes to the product, probably bigger changes than we have already seen so far with Triple H taking over. This is great. This is absolutely great. WWE has so many IPs that they could go back and use for pay-per-views, and I mentioned before, with the gimmick pay-per-views going away, TLC, Hell in a Cell, Extreme Rules, even though I I, I kind of enjoyed Extreme Rules more this year than I have in the last several years, just because of the way it was booked, and, you know, I thought it was a decent pay-per-view. I don't think it was the best pay-per-view that Triple H has put on. I do think that Clash of the Castle was better, but he's hit a home run, basically, with everything he's done so far, minus a couple of hiccups here and there. So TLC, Hell in a Cell and Extreme Rules potentially gone. I know you guys are happy about that. I'm happy about that. I hated that we needed to see Hell in a Cell once every year because it was that time of the year. I hated that we came to October and Vince thought, well, let's have Hell in a Cell in the month of October because Hell correlates with the month of October and the month of October we celebrate Halloween. You know, that was his mindset. That was Vince McMahon's mindset. That was Bruce Prichard's mindset. And Bruce clearly and blindly followed whatever Vince McMahon did. I'm glad that that mentality is now done and finished. It was fucking lame. TLC. How many fucking TLC matches do we need to see? Or how many ladder matches do we need to see in a given calendar year? We see enough of them during the year, and now we have to have an obligatory fucking ladder match in the month of December because... Well, it's TLC, it's December, so here we go. We gotta get TLC matches. It's fucking lame. It's lame. Money in the Bank, I'd even get rid of Money in the Bank. I don't feel like Money in the Bank is a big pay-per-view for WWE anymore. It's a tired concept. They haven't done shit with the Money in the Bank briefcase in the previous years. Vince has embarrassed the Money in the Bank briefcase in several years. It hasn't been the same or felt the same in about five years now. I can't even remember when it was the last time it felt important. We got Austin Theory. He just showed up on NXT, carrying around the briefcase. He's teasing the briefcase against Ilya Dragunov and Braun Breaker and J.D. McDonough, the fake J.D., by the way. He's teasing a cash-in on those three guys at Halloween Havoc. We didn't see him last night on the pay-per-view. But this is Austin Theory carrying around the briefcase who went on WWE television for the last three months teasing that he was going to become the youngest WWE universal heavyweight champion only to show up on NXT and now tease that he's going to cash in against Braun Breaker. It's fucking lame. It's lame. And Vince hasn't done anything with the briefcase. I mean, look at what he's done with the women. Somebody wins the briefcase, they either cash in that same night or legitimately in that same fucking week to follow. It's, It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You got a concept that you could build the storylines around for the next 12 months, and the first thing that they do is want to get rid of it immediately after somebody wins it. It's pathetic. Now, what I would do, what I would do with the pay-per-view calendar, with the gimmick pay-per-views going away, the only one that I would keep is the Elimination Chamber. I always had this, this sentimental feeling towards the elimination, the elimination Chamber. Always. I felt like it was a great in-between on the road to WrestleMania, if and especially it works now that we have two brands. If we were talking about a WWE without a brand split, then I probably would say, "All hey, let's get rid of it. We don't need it. But now that we're operating under two different brands and Triple H is trying to make Raw separate from SmackDown, and I love the fact that he's done that, I feel like it could really work in between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania because if one brand wins the Royal Rumble... Then you could put the winner for, and I don't know how this is going to work because Roman Reigns is carrying both championships, but I'm talking about a normal year where one guy isn't holding both belts hostage. On a normal year, one brand could win the Royal Rumble and to decide the other brand and the other championships championship match at WrestleMania, you got to go through the elimination chamber. So I love that fact and I hope that WWE does keep it around. That's just me. I don't know how you guys feel about it and I feel like the Elimination Chamber still has a place on the road to WrestleMania. Money in the Bank, I would get rid of it. I would get rid of that pay-per-view, and I would put the Money in the Bank concept and the Money in the Bank match back on WrestleMania's card. Instead of having an obligatory fucking Andre Battle Royal or a Women's Battle Royal, I would have a Money in the Bank ladder match for both the men and the women on WrestleMania's card. One on one night, the other on the other night. And I would do that in the same way that we used to crown a Money in the Bank briefcase holder back when the concept first was created. Instead of giving it its own pay-per-view, I feel like it would give WrestleMania a little bit more importance. And I feel like instead of getting everybody on the fucking card in a nothing match and getting everybody on the card because WWE feels like they got to get everybody on WrestleMania for the payday and it's their biggest show of the year, You can have qualifying matches leading up to the pay-per-view. You can have qualifying matches for the men, qualifying matches for the women, six for the men, six for the women. One happens on Saturday, one happens on Sunday, now that WrestleMania is a two-night event, and you give people a reason for being on WrestleMania. You give people a reason to be in that match, and you build importance around it. You want to be on WrestleMania. You want to vie for a championship match in the Money in the Bank ladder match. You have to prove it to me. That's the way it should be done. That's the way it's always should have been done. Making it its own pay-per-view, WWE succumbed to the popularity of it because the fans wanted more of it, and now WWE, in the years that we've seen, has killed the concept to a point where it's not really all that important anymore, and WWE and, more specifically, Triple H, needs to bring the concept back to being important. And it being important should be having it happen at WrestleMania. That's just me. Now, what do we do in the interim? Money in the Bank is not going to be on the pay-per-view calendar in a June or a July. What do we do? It's funny you ask. Because WWE is actually thinking about bringing back the King of the Ring tournaments. Many fans have advocated, me included, every year. I always talk about it. I've given you guys fucking gold every single year about what to do with the King of the Ring. It's a very simple thing. Many fans have advocated for WWE to bring back the tournament, whether as a standalone event or something that takes place on television. In the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer reported that there is talk of bringing back the King of the Ring tournament with a show that would be both King and Queen of the Ring. Now, before I get into the rest of the report, Do we need a queen of the ring? Do we? Do we have to do everything that the men do and do the same exact thing for the women? No, I don't think so. And the reason why I say this before anybody jumps down my throat is because, and I know Triple H would probably do it right, but there was never a queen of the ring tournament or a tournament to crown a queen of the ring or anything like that. It's always been a staple with the men on the roster. And after last year's Queen of the Ring or the Queen's Crown, whatever the fuck they called it, I never want to see another women's tournament ever again. It left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth. I can't even, I I don't even have have the figures in front of me. But when you have Zelina Vega beat Tony Storm in 90 seconds in the tournament, I think I've seen enough, honestly. And WWE did nothing to make that tournament feel important at all. The same thing with the men. I don't even know who was in the men's tournament, but Xavier Woods ended up winning the tournament, and all WWE did was give Zelina and Xavier Woods these terrible, cringy, royal gimmicks because they won the King of the Ring, and they won nothing. They didn't win a championship match. They didn't win a fucking contendership. Nothing. Nothing. They didn't win nothing, a trophy, a cape, a crown, not, nothing. They had nothing. They, they were given a scepter and a fucking crown. That was it. That was it. And it was fucking lame. These tournaments should be important to both Raw and SmackDown. And it's a very simple way to really create captivating television. And if WWE is thinking about bringing back the King of the Ring tournament, that's a start. Do I want it to take place? on Monday Night Raw, and on Friday Night SmackDown? The answer is no. Because if WWE is getting rid of all gimmick pay-per-views, then they need to get rid of all gimmick pay-per-views. Money in the Bank does not need to be a pay-per-view anymore. I don't give a shit what anybody says. It is a dead concept. Not really a dead concept, but a concept that has lost its appeal and lost its importance. Let's get it back to being a WrestleMania staple instead of a random Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal with a fucking ugly-looking trophy that looks like I could pick it up on fucking Aisle 5 in Walmart. Give me a fucking break with this shit, okay? The King of the Ring tournament does not need to take place on television. It should be the bridge between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. This is a very easy thing to do. It would create captivating television. For the months leading into SummerSlam, WWE can have qualifying matches leading into the King of the Ring. They have qualifying matches. You get into the tournament, and then you have the entire tournament happen the way it did in 1993 and all those other great years where we saw those King of the Ring tournaments. On pay-per-view, you have an eight-man tournament that takes place throughout the entire evening. And not everybody needs to be on pay-per-view. Triple H has done a fantastic job of not overloading these pay-per-views. There's going to be pay-per-views where the world title doesn't need to be defended or the Intercontinental Championship is not going to be defended. You save those for the television shows and you build importance for the television shows. Tag Team Championships not going to be defended. Maybe one of the Women's Championships is defended. You have the entire tournament take place on one single show on pay-per-view. But how those men have got there? They have qualifying matches on Raw and SmackDown, and you build importance on Raw and SmackDown with these qualifying matches and then get those people qualified to compete at the pay-per-view. Four spots from Raw, four spots from SmackDown. You make it prestigious. You make it something that everybody wants to be a part of. If people are asking, well, J.D., what about the women? Listen, I'm not saying you can't do a Queen of the Ring, but you can't do a King of the Ring and a Queen of the Ring on pay-per-view, unless you dumb down the fucking tournament and give us only the finals on pay-per-view, the finals of the men and the finals of the women on pay-per-view, but then it's not really a King of the Ring tournament. It's a King of the Ring final. I don't really want to see that. If you want to have both, King of the Ring could be on pay-per-view and build the Queen of the Ring tournament on Raw and on SmackDown. It doesn't need to be on pay-per-view. Because obviously... One is greater and more important than the other, being that we've never even got one before in the past, and the first one that we got was a complete fucking abysmal disaster. So that's what I would do. The winner of the tournament, you are the number one contender based on where you come from. If you're Raw, WWE Championship, SmackDown Universal Championship, the winner, and whichever brand is represented coming out of King of the Ring, you are getting a championship match guaranteed at SummerSlam. Very simple. Very simple. I'm not speaking a fucking foreign language here. This is a very simple concept for Triple H to go out there and uh, and do for WWE television. It gives them meaning on Raw and SmackDown. It gives them a main event guaranteed for SummerSlam. Same thing with the, with the Queen of the Ring. If you want to do that on Raw and SmackDown, guaranteed women's championship match, whoever comes out of that tournament on which brand they are representing. Very simple. The other thing that I've talked about greatly and in detail is if WWE doesn't want to do a King of the Ring tournament like they did back when Bret won it and Owen won it and all those great tournaments, if WWE wants to adopt, and I could see Triple H doing this, but it it may receive some criticism and it may be a little bit too involved for WWE, I would love to see it. I think I prefer what I just talked about more. But if WWE doesn't want to do a King of the Ring tournament on pay-per-view, and they want to keep money in the bank where it is in June or July and have that pay-per-view still be a thing, WWE can do what New Japan does with the G1 Climax and have a Block A and a Block B. WWE can have eight competitors in Block A and eight competitors in Block B. Mix them up from Raw and SmackDown, for one year only. This is the only time where where you'll see Raw and SmackDown actually take part in something and go head to head. You have block A and block B and you have round robin matches on Raw and SmackDown. Giving Monday Night Raw and giving Friday Night SmackDown a fresh look and a fresh feel, giving meaning to those shows because every show leading up to the conclusion of this tournament is going to include a tournament match. The round robin thing is based on points. You receive points for winning. You are, I guess, I don't know how it actually works. Maybe you're deducted points if you lose, if you have a count at or a DQ. It's all based on a scoring system. And if WWE wants to adopt that, I think that would be great. And then the finals could take place on a pay-per-view before SummerSlam or you really want to build it up as a main event on a Raw or SmackDown. You could do that as well and then the winner of this tournament would get a number one contendership or a championship match at SummerSlam, that's what the winner would get if they win the entire thing. It should be a staple for the summer of WWE. We got WrestleMania in the spring. We got SummerSlam in the tail end of the summer. We got Survivor Series in the fall for Thanksgiving. WWE needs something right at the beginning of the summer. We got Royal Rumble in January right when WrestleMania season starts. We need something to fit there in the beginning of the summer. And that, one of those two concepts would fit absolutely perfect. Now, the gimmick pay-per-views, WWE has a bunch of IPs. They could get rid of TLC and Extreme Rules and Hell in a Cell and fill them in with old WWE pay-per-views. Uh, Armageddon or, or whatever you want to talk about, you know, old classic pay-per-views that WWE could bring back from their earlier days. Or WWE with December, I mentioned this earlier, I could see Triple H filling that void in December with something like Starcade, Because I've always talked about, well, why don't we use Halloween Havoc and some of these IPs that they've obviously paid for and now own? Why don't you use Halloween Havoc for October? That would be a great main roster pay-per-view, right? Instead of using it for NXT where they're just going to fucking sully the name after what we saw last night. Halloween Havoc in October... How about a starcade in December? Triple H is a lover of the old school. He loves all that shit. I could see him bringing that back. Maybe we get that, or maybe we get nothing at all. It's still up in the air, but this is something that honestly and clearly excites me. It presents so many more different openings for creative and booking and to make things feel important. That's, that's something that resonates with me. That's something that I find to be most important and what we need to fix. Raw and SmackDown have been a lot better, don't get me wrong, but they need to feel important on a weekly basis. WWE Triple H has done a great job with the pay-per-view so far, and I feel like they have been must-see for the little time that he's been there. But we need to start making things feel important. We need to start making things that happen on a yearly basis. Something like the King of the Ring happen on a yearly basis with that that being a huge important pivotal part of the WWE calendar that resonates with the title match at SummerSlam, that that builds new stars. Something like this has so much importance behind it that, you know, we all talk about WWE wanting to build new stars. We need to get into the process of building new stars in something like a King of the Ring tournament, if it's done correctly and it's given the amount of prestige and importance could build. Tomorrow's superstar, tomorrow's household name, tomorrow's WrestleMania main event, and I know you guys agree with me on that. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Triple H does because he himself, he he himself is a former King of the Ring winner. He himself knows exactly how important that tournament is to one's career, and if done right, it could catapult somebody into superstardom. So I'm very excited to see what WWE does with their pay per view calendar, and I will keep you guys updated on anything that happens. Uh, especially if King of the Ring is announced as a yearly staple once again under Triple H. Backstage news on WWE's anniversary for January 30th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. This is approaching and plans are already being discussed. WrestleVolt reported this week that plans are in motion for the show, and when Vince McMahon was still running the company, There was talk about the show happening at the Manhattan Center in New York City. That was the home for Raw during the early years of the show. Something that I genuinely loved every single week. As you might recall, the 25th anniversary of Raw took place in two locations. Portions of the show were filmed at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, and the other parts of the show aired from the Manhattan Center. That show featured several returning names like Stone Cold Steve Austin, And the show kicked off with Austin Stunny McMahon and Shane McMahon. There's no word on who might be brought in, but expect to see some returning legends to make cameo appearances. Well, if Triple H did such a great job with this DX reunion on Monday Night Raw this uh, couple weeks ago, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to have a blast book in this show, and it's going to come off exactly the same way as the DX 25th anniversary reunion. WrestleVotes tweeted, and I quote, I'm told plans are in motion for the 30th anniversary of Raw coming up in January. Prior to the new leadership taking over, having the show from the Manhattan Center again in New York City was on the table. I am unaware if that is still the case. Now, WWE, you know, they're making more money now hand over fist. And if they really want it to be special, Right, Doing it from a Barclays Center is easy. That's WWE's new home in New York City. How many shows have we seen from the Barclays Center? You know, this is your 30th anniversary. You only get one time, one chance to celebrate a 30th anniversary, right? That's a big fucking number for Monday Night Raw. Do you want it to take place in the same fucking arena that all your other shows, all your random fucking Monday Night Raw's throughout the year? How many times do they run the Barclays Center for a SmackDown and a Raw throughout the year? It's the same shit. You want it to resonate, you want it to feel special. Holding it from the Manhattan Center is going to make it feel special because WWE is the largest wrestling company in the world and here they are back in 1993, like we, well, like we entered some fucking vortex. Back in 1993, it's the year 2023, but it feels like the first fucking Monday Night Raw back in January 1993, you got the siren going off, you got the Ico Pro fucking flags hanging from the Manhattan Center. You got the ring girls holding up fucking ring signs. And the commentary team, whoever they may be at that time, standing ringside wearing those fucking early 90s suits that they used to wear with the big WWE logo patched on like fucking AEW has uh, Jim Ross and Excalibur and Tony Schiavone wear. They got that big, that big patched AEW logo on their fucking black suit jackets. That's what they need the referees wearing the fucking blue attire with the little black bow ties, the entrance that was light-up LEDs like you guys remember back in the early 90s, that's what they need. The the intimate crowd, the intimate setting of Manhattan Center, I understand that the WWE is always in the mindset of making money and making money and making more money, but having a show like this emanate from Manhattan Center is, is not going to do anything the WWE. In fact, it's only going to make WWE look better in the eyes of the fans and it's only going to make the show feel and look better when people are watching at home and people are there live experiencing it for for whether it's the first time or, you know, the WWE product celebrating its 30th anniversary It's going to give it that proper feel. So I hope that it takes place from the Manhattan Center because I wouldn't have anything else. Barclays, Madison Square Garden, it's all the same shit. Manhattan Center, you rarely, rarely, rarely Ever do Manhattan Center. If WWE wants to run the fucking Hammerstein Ballroom right down below as well, uh right downstairs from Manhattan Center, they could do that. I'd love to see that as well. I love the Hammerstein Ballroom, but it's gonna be up to WWE. I would do it. You only get one chance at this. Don't fuck it up. You can run Barclay Center at any given time you want. Let's do the Manhattan Center to celebrate Monday Night Raw and 30 years. Update on Triple H. He had COVID and was not at Monday Night Raw this past Monday. FIFA Select provided an update on both Triple H's condition and the episode of WW Raw itself, confirming that although Triple H was sidelined with COVID, they heard that he's doing fine. Road Dogg helped run the show, and it was mainly written by Sunday evening. The October 17th episode of Raw, the first without Triple H presence since taking over WW Creative, saw a 1% drop in total viewership, with a 10% drop in the 18 to 49 demographic. Triple H. Had previously undergone surgery, as you guys know, for a heart condition, which he had uh, had to step away from his corporate duties at WWE. And you guys know now he is head of WWE. All things creative is Paul Levesque. Now, I joked on social media, dog, please help us. And people didn't really understand. Maybe I need to elaborate for the fucking blithering idiots out there. I didn't expect Road Dog to write the fucking show. I knew the show was written before they all even arrived at the arena. This is not Vince McMahon, okay? I didn't expect Road Dog to write the fucking show. The show was already written, planned ahead of time, because this is Triple H. This is not Bruce. This is not Vince. This is not fucking people power. No, this is a different day and age. But Road Dog, he helped facilitate things backstage. He was sitting where Triple H was sitting, running the show with the headset on, making sure things flowed the way that it did. Now, I heard from people that Monday Night Raw didn't really feel all that, I would say, exciting on Monday. It was a little boring compared to some of the people that I talked to, uh, comparing shows from this week to last week and the week before that. But listen, Triple H can't be there on every given week. He's going to have time off for sickness and, you know, he's going to have time off to do other things, maybe a meeting or, so- or something like that. He's not going to be there every week. But this is why Triple H has. Assemble a team around him of people that he trusts to know that the job is going to get done when he's not there. So as long as he's all right, Triple H will be back on Monday Night Raw and things will feel like normal this coming Monday. Ric Flair. Ric Flair again on the bottle. And I mean that sarcastically. As he makes a ridiculous comment about Charlotte Flair and a potential feud with Bianca Belair. Now, Ric Flair, you know, you may love him, you may hate him. I, 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 don't, I don't know why we continue to talk about guys like Flair and Conan and Eric Bischoff and all these fucking irrelevant hacks, Disco Inferno, these irrelevant hacks. They say shit because they know people are going to talk about it and we fall for it every single time, hook, line, and sinker. And this is no different. But I have to call this out because obviously... Rick Flair is a ridiculous, ludicrous old man. He was on his podcast, which is called To Be a Man Podcast. Ric Flair talked about a potential, a potential Bianca Belair and Charlotte Flair match at WrestleMania, comparing it to it, if booked correctly, could be as big or bigger than Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Oh, man. Man, Rick Flair's a fucking comedian, man. Rick Flair is on the same line of fucking retardation than the Impact fans telling me that I need to watch Impact and review Impact on 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 a weekly on Thursday. Give me a break, man. Flair said this, and I quote, I have no indication, I have no inclination, I'm sorry, no inclination as to whether or not this will happen. But I think Ashley... If she wrestles Bianca Belair at WrestleMania, it'll be as big as Rock and Austin if they build it right. (laughs) Oh, man. They are two of the best athletes ever. Clearly, Rick, she's your daughter. What else the fuck would you say? Two of the best athletes ever that I've seen in my career to ever be in the same women's division. There are some other great workers. But for pure athletic ability, Bianca Belair and Ashley stand out. They could be two of the best athletes in the company. I'm not kidding. Both are legitimate Division I athletes with credentials. Charlotte Flair has not appeared on WWE TV since she lost the SmackDown Women's Championship to Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania Backlash in May. Though reports have emerged that the Queen may be on her way back soon to WWE. I can't wait to see the android, back in action. Nobody wants to see Charlotte Flair back in action, okay? Ric Flair himself uh, has wrestled more recently than Charlotte Flair, which is a fucking terrible thing to think about, competing in his last match over SummerSlam weekend back in July. Now, I understand that Charlotte has her fans, and I understand Bianca has her fans as well. And Bianca's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I think Bianca Belair is excellent at what she does. She's an inspiration. WWE, you know, they are pushing her. And you could see why they have pushed her to the top spot on WWE television, holding the Monday Night Raw Women's Championship. Her story is a great story. Now, I don't want you to take this out of context I don't want people to make this about race like they usually do. I don't want people to say that uh, JD is negative and all this other shit. But to compare this to The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, who were at the heights of wrestling's fucking kingdom when they were around as number one and number one A in WWE. The height of wrestling's popularity, led by Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, two of the greatest that will ever step foot in the ring. Nobody will ever duplicate what The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin have done. You will never find another Stone Cold Steve Austin. You will find nobody that even comes close to that. You will find nobody that ever does what The Rock did or come close to what The Rock did. These are two athletes that have transcended all of space and time in this business and in this industry. There will never be another. Rock and Stone Cold, to go out there like Ric Flair, who he himself, there will never be another Ric Flair, for he himself to go out there and say such a ludicrous fucking statement is beyond comprehension. It it is so fucking unfair for him to say. It's not, listen, I understand that's his daughter, but that is there's no truth behind that whatsoever. First of all, nobody is watching pro wrestling like they did back when Stone Cold and The Rock were main eventing WrestleMania. Nobody. WWE has lost fucking 80% of its audience from that point. Nobody is watching wrestling like they were when Stone Cold, Steve Austin, and The Rock were main eventing WrestleMania and were at the height of their popularity. That's number one. Number two, you're comparing Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair to Stone Cold and The Rock, which, again, is fucking ludicrous because I just said there will never be another. I don't give a fuck who you think you are or what you think you are or what you like. They are not to be compared to The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Number three, women's wrestling, though a great thing, is not a draw. And I mean this wholeheartedly. I love Sasha Banks. I think Bianca Belair is great. I love Bayley. I I think some of the ladies in NXT are very good, right? But it is not a draw. WWE has their problems with the women's division. WWE has their problems creatively with the women's division. WWE's women's division, they are some of the lowest rated segments on Monday and Friday night. So for Ric Flair to go out there and say that it is going to be a bigger match or on the same level as a rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, he is absolutely out of his fucking mind. And I would love to know what the man is drinking when he's not recording his podcast because I'd love a fucking shot. Seriously, what an absolutely ridiculous statement. Nobody's watching the show for the return of Charlotte Flair. Nobody's watching Monday Night Raw to watch Bianca Belair. Nobody is going to watch WrestleMania for a Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair match. Not with what is rumored to be on that show. By the end of that weekend, it will be a forgotten match. You will be talking about everything else that happens on that night, especially if The Rock comes back, especially if Cody wins a major championship, and everybody else that they have planned or rumored to be coming back to the WWE at that point, Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio, rumored to be having their father and son match at WrestleMania. I mean, give me a fucking break. Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey, rumored to be wrestling at WrestleMania. What if Sasha Banks comes back and she has a major match against Bayley at WrestleMania? Nobody is going to be specifically tuning in to see Bianca Belair and Charlotte Flair. What a ridiculous fucking statement to make. By the time you get to work on Monday, nobody's going to be talking about Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair. And I guarantee you, you know, Charlotte and Bianca, great at what they do, yes. Okay, I can't take away that Charlotte's a great wrestler. But they're going to have a lofty fucking, you know, couple of matches to live up to. Lofty expectations to live up to. Because Becky and Bianca, their WrestleMania match was great. Their SummerSlam match was probably better than what they did at WrestleMania. And you're going to ask these two ladies to go out there and live up to everything else that has happened while Charlotte Flair was away? I don't know who's clamoring to see the return of Charlotte Flair, but in my honest opinion, the division is actually a lot better without her being on television because it opens up for more of the division to breathe. Even though WWE hasn't done a real good job at creating somebody to take Charlotte Flair's position. So they're basically welcoming Charlotte Flair back and waiting for Charlotte Flair to come back. Because of their indifference to book and create new stars. Nobody wants to see this match happen. And I know I don't. There is a lot better that you could do with Bianca Belair at WrestleMania. And it doesn't include Charlotte Flair. Triple H, he details the buzz that was generated for Bray Wyatt's return to WWE with the White Rabbit Project. He spoke with The rap, who's broken some WWE news articles in the past. WWE's head of creative Triple H gave some insight into planning for Wyatt's return with all the teases that were done to send its fans down a literal rabbit hole of speculation for weeks. He says this, and I quote, we created the White Rabbit Project intended to lead our audience down this literal rabbit hole of content to help build anticipation for Wyatt's return at Extreme Rules on Peacock. It started with flickering lights in arenas and continued with the release of other Easter eggs like hidden QR codes within episodes of SmackDown and Raw that led viewers to more clues that kept them guessing and tuning in each week. It culminated in what we believe was a massive payoff for our fans and for the WWE. Now, Triple H didn't say how much Wyatt was involved in the planning. There was a report saying that WWE creative was largely hands-off with everything And mostly everything was the brainchild of of Bray Wyatt and the people that are specifically hired to work with Bray Wyatt creatively. Now, Bray Wyatt addressed the audience for the first time on the most recent episode of SmackDown. That was October 14th, before this past week on Friday, where we saw him kind of in a backstage element and his theme music was playing and he was largely talking about what had happened the week prior. And then he went off into this tangent of, I guess he was talking about his inner demons and he was talking about his split personality. That's the way I interpreted it. And then we see in the debut of Uncle Howdy in another cryptic vignette with another QR code that led us to uh, asylum papers and paperwork with Bray Wyatt's name on it that he was an inpatient at an asylum. Now, the rumor is that Uncle Howdy is Vincent of The Righteous from Ring of Honor or Honor No More and Impact. He works with Impact as well, which you may not know because Impact, it's watched by nobody. But Bray Wyatt is one of the most captivating things on television right now, and it's leading to people watching SmackDown on a weekly basis. Bully Ray offered his opinion on Busted Open Radio about Bray Wyatt's return. He says this, and I quote, and normally I don't really agree with Bully Ray. I think he's, I think he pretends to be smarter than he really is. He thinks his opinion is the only one that really matters, but it also seems like Bray coming out as Wyndham or Bray Wyatt, whatever you want to say, in his purest form, wanted to be good, wanted to bear his soul, but the voices in his head, the characters that he's portrayed just will not let him. And that's the road I think they're going to go down. Got to be careful, though. With The Fiend, they painted themselves into such a corner where the guy was impervious to pain. They have to be able to have this depth of character in which Bray can still wrestle a match and work a match. I absolutely fucking agree with Bully Ray. They don't need a supernatural gimmick. We didn't know... What was going on with Bray Wyatt? I don't know if that was actually Bray Wyatt's interpretation and what he wanted the interpretation of his character to be, or if that was a Vince McMahon, Bruce Prichard thing. You know, we didn't know. Was the mask giving him the power? Was the the red lighting that he wrestled under giving him the red lighting? WWE made it more of a spectacle instead of Bray Wyatt going out there wrestling a match, and we know he can wrestle a match. I see some... Some notable people in the community claiming that Bray can't wrestle. I, I I honestly think these people hate fucking professional wrestling. I mean, they're asking, you know, name me a match that's not Brian Danielson that he was in the ring with because Brian Danielson can bring a five star match with anybody. I mean, I, I don't understand why we need to go down that that rabbit hole and use that as an excuse. Yes, Brian Danielson can wrestle a fucking Victoria's Secret window model and bring it to a five-star fucking match. That's not the point. The point is, Bright has done everything else that he can with a lot of big, notable talent to make you think that he can wrestle. He's wrestled John Cena. Great match. He's wrestled AJ Styles. Great match. He's wrestled Moxley. Great match. He was in one of the best Elimination Chamber matches ever, and he beat AJ Styles and John Cena in that Elimination Chamber to win his first WWE Championship, and then wrestled... AJ Styles the very next night on, Ro- on SmackDown. I-, I don't really understand why people say Bray can't wrestle. Yes, he's wrestled Brian Danielson. His best matches came with Roman Reigns when he was the eater of worlds, Bray Wyatt. So please continue to tell me that Bray Wyatt can't wrestle, and I'll make you continue to look like a blithering fucking idiot. Bray Wyatt can wrestle. It's not Bray Wyatt's fault that Bray Wyatt's most important and pivotal fucking portion of his career was hijacked by a 77-year-old fucking senile, demented old man who wanted him to fucking come out with red lighting and stand there impervious to fucking pain. Basically ruining his character. That's not Bray Wyatt's fault. Bray Wyatt coming up through the ring and cutting up through the ring and grabbing people and dragging them down through the depths of hell. That's all Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon. That's not Bray Wyatt. We know Bray can wrestle. Bray Wyatt's father is one of the best technically sound professional wrestlers of all time. Bray can wrestle. We don't need another fucking mysterious, spooky, and impervious to paying character. It's not going to work in 2023. It worked when I watched The Undertaker back in 1991 because I didn't know any better. Nobody wants to see that shit in 2023. He also spoke on the important issue that Wyatt faced during his first WWE run. My biggest fear for The Fiend was, what happens when the bell rings and the house lights go up? Now what? Now he's just another pro wrestler. In a ring, you have this character that has so many layers. It's so deep. But once that bell rings, you're a pro wrestler and you got to wrestle a match. And that's where the disconnect came from me with The Fiend. Absolutely 100% agree with Bully Ray. 100 I love all the fucking look of the fiend, and the music and the theme song and the entrance and all that shit but when the bell rang it almost like it almost feels like everything went out the fucking window it's like i, I just fell in love with what the presentation was and then the bell rang and it's like what 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 am i watching you know you can't emo- you need to emotionally invest yourself in all aspects of the character not some because then it's not going to translate well when he actually has to do what he needs to do. And at the end of the day, what he needs to do is be a professional wrestler. Absolutely 100% agree. CM Punk. A lot of people have compared CM Punk and his return to Bray Wyatt's return at Extreme Rules. And we talked about, we talked about CM Punk yesterday on the podcast and we talked about him having a potential buyout of his AEW contract and the rumor of him going back to WWE that Triple H reportedly would be open to working with CM Punk in some capacity because at the end of the day, Triple H wants to tell compelling stories and CM Punk back in WWE would tell a compelling story. Now, I don't think he's going to end up going back to WWE. I think he would make himself look like the biggest hypocrite in the entire industry ever. And I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't know what, pro wrestling company would want that man's attitude in their locker room after what he did to AEW, what he did to the locker room, and what he did to Tony Khan. I don't know who would want his services. It started off as a fucking beautiful thing, and then it turned into a complete disaster. I don't think he goes back to WWE, and I don't know how he would walk into that locker room and face all the veterans that he, for years, neglected, ignored, and talked shit about who run that locker room to walk back into that locker room making what will be a pretty fucking penny. Some will be making less than CM Punk, and you know that for a fact, and I do think that was a determining factor in what caused problems in AEW. How everybody felt CM Punk com- coming in, making $5 million a year and being the face of the company. You know, I could see people in the locker room feeling, well, what about my fucking spot? I got another ex we guy here, this guy in CM Punk coming into AEW, me, now, my spot, moving down the fucking ladder, right? I'm here to fucking make a point and prove a statement and improve myself to Tony Khan and make more money, yet $5 million goes to CM Punk. I can't even fucking lobby for a goddamn race because I'm not getting any more opportunities. I'm not getting as many opportunities as I was or what, or, or what I was promised with AEW being the alternative. And here, another ex guy comes into the company to steal our spotlight. Meanwhile, it should have been looked at as a good thing. But Tony Khan didn't really... You know, he didn't really hide his emotions. He he made CM Punk like he was fucking Jesus Christ walking into that locker room. You know, he neglected everybody else and gave all his attention and all his resources and his fucking friendship and his time to CM Punk. And it's not a good look. And it did not end up a good look because that jealousy resonated with the elite, and the elite were brought in to be the fucking faces of the company. Here, Tony Khan basically giving CM Punk all of his fucking time, neglecting Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and... They're looking at their fucking contracts, and we're like, we're the fucking... You brought us into fucking run run all elite wrestling. We're the fucking guys. And here CM Punk is coming into the company making 10 times more than they are. It was a snowball of varying aspects. Ego, jealousy, pettiness, cult Cabana, just a bunch of different fucking things. Lack of leadership. It was a disaster. Tony Connor's learned the hard way about how he needs to start running a wrestling promotion. But that doesn't mean CM Punk is going to go back to WWE. That doesn't mean Triple H is going to welcome him with open arms. That doesn't mean the WWE locker room is going to welcome Phil Brooks with open arms after what he did over here. There was a follow-up on CM Punk. A very influential name in WWE would vote no on bringing back CM Punk. Who that influential name is? It could be anybody. It could be Stephanie McMahon. It could be Randy Orton. It could be John Cena. It could be The Undertaker. It could be anybody. We don't know. We don't know. It could be Nick Khan. It could be Kevin Dunn. It could be Bruce Prichard. We 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 don't know who it is. During a recent PW Torch audio show, Wade Keller of the PW Torch talked about some of the issues between Punk and AEW, and then he talked about what someone with influence in WWE said about Punk possibly returning. Keller said, and I quote, quite a few people I spoke to had become familiar with Punk over the years and had predicted when he signed with AEW that his stint with AEW wouldn't go well and wouldn't last long, citing his personality and his general history of discontent. Keller added that Punk was a needle mover with ratings and pay-per-view buys, especially in his first match with the company, but not in a game-changing way, and that meant that he had less sway in the locker room. And I mentioned this on yesterday's show. If Punk goes to WWE, it's not going to be a game-changing situation. We're not going to see ratings all of a sudden go through The roof to three and four ratings on Monday and Friday night, if AEW couldn't achieve that with Punk after all this time and the fucking glorious and monumental return he had, what do you think WWE is going to do? They're going to fall into the same boat that AEW was in. It's going to be a flash in the pan, one off, it's going to be great for the first night and then things will quickly revert back to normal and he's just going to be there. WWE's brought in Lesnar how many fucking times, and we haven't seen a ratings increase at all that could be labeled game-changing. WWE brought in Ronda Rousey for the second stint, and we haven't seen anywhere close to it being game-changing. WWE's brought in celebrities like Logan Paul, who has multi-millions of fucking fans. None of it has been game-changing. Pat McAfee, none of it has been game-changing. So you mean to tell me that CM Punk is going to go join WWE and all of a sudden it's going to be game changing. The only thing that's changing right now is I already hear it in my fucking headset is people quickly, the geeks, the virgins, the fucking online incels, quickly deleting their fucking tweets of the hatred towards AEW and CM Punk to pretend that they were always pro CM Punk. Blasting for... Blasting AEW for CM Punk being in AEW and now all of a sudden praising him that he's jumping back to the good side, quote-unquote. CM Punk would not be a game-changer in WWE. He would not fit into the current landscape of WWE. There's not really one person I would love to see CM Punk feud with in WWE outside of Roman Reigns, and we know how that would end anyway. It's not a good look for everything he said in his seven years of absence which continued on on AEW television. He was never shy about letting his feelings known about where he used to work and what he thought of the people that worked there. Keller added that Punk was a needle mover with ratings and pay-per-views, not a game-changing way that he had less sway in the locker room. Keller added there was some jealousy of his rumored salary. There you go. You know, upwards of $3 million per year. I heard it was $5 million a year. $3 Three million per year, probably with the merchandise sales, it would probably eclipse five million. With understandably, some wrestlers thinking that their spot on the card moved down a notch, and their potential push was delayed a year or two because of him. There you go. Second thing I just mentioned before, there you go. John Moxley has made it clear that he wanted to be an alpha- top guy. Cody Rhodes wanted to be an alpha- top guy. He saw himself as that. Kenny Omega was initially seen as being that. Brian Danielson was in a certain way redundant to Punk as Lee Babyface. So summarizing, mid-card wrestlers saw themselves being displaced by the aligning of Punk, Cole, and Danielson from WWE Fame into AEW's atmosphere all at once. That's what caused partially some of the locker room discontent. And this is what I said yesterday. And Wade Keller is basically confirming what I said yesterday. WWE and all of their fucking firings ended up in AEW. Tony Khan ended up picking up literally everybody that ended up working for Triple H at one point or another. He brought them into AEW thinking that it was going to be a game-changing setting for AEW. Look at all the ex talent I have. But the thing that Tony Khan did was quickly move AEW away from what really made it special and what really brought it to the table. We watched and fell in love with AEW because of the MJFs and the Darby Allens and the Jungle Boys and all those year ones, right? And then you quickly moved away from that. And I understand signing a guy like CM Punk and signing a guy like Brian Danielson. Do not get me wrong. If Adam Cole is out there, I'm signing Adam Cole. But you're bringing in the Malachi's and you're bringing in the Swerves, who's worked out fantastic, that's another guy I'd go out that you got to bring Swerve and you got to bring Keith Lee. And these are guys that I would go out. He, he lit- legitimately brought in everybody, which then led to discontent because not everybody was going to be able to be featured on TV. And that led to discontent in the locker room because people weren't being featured on TV. And all the young guys, the year ones were being moved down the ladder at a rapid pace. And the fans were growing impatient because some of their favorites were being used on TV And they thought when they watched AEW television, look at all the ex WWE guys here. If I wanted to fucking watch WWE, I'd go back and watch WWE. What is Tony Khan doing? He did what he did and it ruined the special feeling that AEW gave us in year one and year two. That's not a good look. And I honestly feel like AEW is kind of getting back to that. Look at the acclaimed. Look at what he's done with the acclaimed and how over they are home, grown, talent. Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, MJF, right? Eddie Kingston, not really a homegrown talent, but he's AEW, right? Sammy Guevara, Darby Allin, guys like this. That's what needs to be on television. Wheeler Yuta. I'm not saying you can't go out and bring in an ex-WWE guy, but you can't go out and bring in every ex-WWE guy. Wardlow. Why isn't Wardlow being used on television? There's a problem, and it's a big one, and it's it's tiresome of just reading about it, hearing about it, talking. It's tiresome on a weekly basis, and nothing is being done. And now we are pinpointing the problems with this CM Punk situation, and Tony Khan has yet to do anything about it. I want to see him go back to what brought AEW to the dance and made it special, and it's going to be a difficult one for Tony Khan because. At one point, he was deemed the alternative. Yes, when Vince McMahon was in charge. But now, he is no longer the alternative because the same thing that he promised to give us, Triple H is now giving us, how is he going to stand out over Triple H? Now, that's the test. That's the question. That's the answer he needs to go out there and seek. How's that going to be? I don't know. What is he going to do? I don't know. But that's what he needs to do. That's what he needs to figure out. So... Summarizing, mid-car wrestlers saw their spot being displaced. Keller also stated that at first, Punk was seen as someone who was cool, pretty chill, and approachable in the locker room. On the possibility of Punk going back to WWE, Keller said, As I talked about this fall, Paul Levesque is more likely to bring Punk back than Vince McMahon would have been, not less. That doesn't mean Paul Levesque was a fan of CM Punk. But Paul Levesque is in a different position than Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon never believed in CM Punk. And therefore, in the way that he pushed Punk, never really fully got behind him. Paul Levesque, while he thinks Punk's personality-wise might be more trouble than he's worth, has shown a history of recognizing wrestlers who are over with today's fans that he himself might not have predicted would be over. Somebody who's currently in WWE and is within the sphere of influence of Paul Levesque's decision-making would be a hard no, as of me asking this person today. A hard no on endorsing the return of CM Punk, even if it would help business. I won't go into exactly what was said, but when I asked, I got a long paragraph of one sentence after another of negative comments about how they feel about Punk now compared to 8, 9, 10 years ago. Based on what happened in AEW in the last 13 months. And by the way, related to this, I talked to three people of significant stature in AEW in the last couple of days. I asked how a vote would go in the AEW locker room if they were asked if they wanted Punk to return. One person said he wouldn't fare very well. Another person said he thinks he might not get a single vote. And someone else says he doesn't think he'd get many votes. I think he'd get some personally just based on conversations I've had in the last six weeks with others. The three people I just talked to in the last few days are higher, prominent people of influence in that locker room. So that tells you something about his standing and why I think if Punk were to return, it wouldn't necessarily go well for him in either WWE or AEW. And I think that's going, that's going to, that falls into the calculation of Tony Khan right now. And it might fall into the calculation of Paul Levesque. I still believe Levesque would be more likely to bring him in than Vince McMahon for the reasons I just said. But I think there would be some pushback by people in Levesque's sphere of influence. End quote. Listen, you guys can have your own opinion on it, your own stance on it. Triple H can have his own stance on it. The people that he surrounded himself have their own stance on it. The locker rooms in both companies, Tony Khan, they have their own stance on it. Is CM Punk valuable to a company? Yes, I don't think that really is a question that anybody is doubting. But is he worth the trouble? Is the amount of money you're going to have to pay him worth the fucking headache that you are inevitably going to get? We were promised a different CM Punk. We were promised a new CM Punk, a refreshed CM Punk, a CM Punk that wanted to be back in this business amongst the fans and amongst his peers. Clearly, he devolved into something that was worse than what we heard about in AEW. He's older. He's slower. He's more injury prone. The fuck are we paying him for if he cannot be the leader in that locker room that he promised us he would be? He's going to do that in WWE? I don't think so. Paul Levesque may want to bring him in for a special match here, a special attraction there like an Edge or Brock Lesnar or John Cena. But CM Punk back on WWE television, I'm telling you right now, would not make a lick of a fucking difference. Outside of that first ever return appearance on Monday night or Friday night, which more than likely would be on SmackDown, it would not be as big as you are expecting it to be. Because if it didn't happen in AEW with all the fucking resources that Tony Khan had and all the talent that he had for CM Punk to work with, I don't understand it. Is it going to be any different than Punk working with a Kevin Owens... Or Punk work who doesn't like him, right? Is it going to be any different with Punk working with a Balor or an AJ stuck? Give me a break. Give me a break. WWE's brought in people in their past, and nothing's really changed as far as ratings or anything as far as that's concerned. So it wouldn't be a lick of a difference if Punk went back to WWE. Unanimously, no. I don't know what to tell you. Moving on. Let's go to Monday Night Raw. JBL. JBL returned to Monday Night Raw. Thank God I didn't watch. John Bradshaw Layfield is going to be featured on television in the near future a little bit more frequently. JBL was used as a top heel during the Ruthless Aggression era, where he was WWE Champion and he helped make John Cena a top star by putting him over at WrestleMania 21. He retired from entering action to become a play by play commentator where he sucked before returning to wrestling once again. In recent years, he's been used as a commentator and a pre show analyst. JBL, according to PW Insider, there was talk at last Friday SmackDown that JBL would be at the next several Raws in some capacity. There was also talk over the weekend that he would be at Monday Night Raw more frequently. JBL appeared on an episode of SmackDown in September where he offered to be a manager for Happy Corbin, who was on Monday Night Raw as Baron Corbin led by JBL, and JBL says that a trade was facilitated between Raw and SmackDown to bring Baron Corbin to Raw in exchange for Rey Mysterio, and Corbin is undergoing an edgy character change, moving away from the happy Corbin gimmick. Uh, I don't know, man. This is like, you know, you could put, you could splash a fresh cone of paint over the bullshit that is Baron Corbin, and it's still going to smell and look like bullshit, honestly. JBL managing Baron Corbin when JBL himself is not really an entertaining aspect uh, of WWE television. It's it's not going to bode well for Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin already gets go-away heat. JBL is the definition and personification of go-away heat. So now we are adding go-away heat to go-away heat, and it's not going to result in anything that is worth watching. Plus, Baron Corbin's outfit on Monday and at Raw. Well, who'd he wrestle? Dolph Ziggler for like 15 minutes? Baron Corbin looks like a ridiculous individual with what he's wearing to the ring. Honestly, if we're not going back to the Lone Wolf and we're not doing all of that Lone Wolf-esque shit that was great for Baron Corbin, I don't know what the fuck we're doing here. Baron Corbin right now is led by JBL, and from what I saw, Baron Corbin still does not have an entertaining... I don't even know if he has a gimmick at all. What is this gimmick? This is not going to bode well for Baron Corbin. Seriously. It ain't going to go anywhere. Becky Lynch, nowhere close to a WWE return. There were rumors flying around, potentially that Becky Lynch could be back at the end of September. Well, it's October 23, and we're on the cusp of Halloween. And no Becky Lynch sighting as of yet. Fightful Select reports that they were told that the company had yet to follow up with Lynch about a possible return at that point, and she was never slated for a September return. WWE hoped that Lynch would be able to avoid surgery and would be, would be able to return in a few months with rehab. Lynch was backstage at Raw last week, but as of early September, her doctors and physical therapists had thought it would be at least a couple of months before she could return to the ring. As of this writing, there is no definitive timetable for Becky Lynch's return. Those in WWE creative said that they were hopeful to have Lynch back by the end of the year, but that wasn't guaranteed and was more being optimistic in the hope that she wouldn't have to have surgery. The top star suffered a separated shoulder at SummerSlam in July. While away from WWE, Becky Lynch has changed her look, which you guys can go and check out on social media. This falls in line with the same line of thinking about Cody Rhodes. Do they need Becky Lynch back? The only reason why I would bring Becky Lynch back is because she would be a shoe-in, absolutely fantastic addition to WWE's War Games match for the ladies that will see Bianca Belair and her team go up against damage control and who they have planned to team alongside them going into war games. It would fit like a glove. We got Bianca, we got Candice, we got Asuka, we got Alexa, we got Becky, there's your five. Then we got Bailey, we got Dakota, we got Eo, we got Sasha, and we got Naomi. There you go, right? Five-on-five five war games. You got uh, a bunch of top-tier acts there. There you go. It could be something that ends up being a history-making moment. Becky would fit in like a glove there. But if she's not back by war games, I mean, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. And this is why I said it's very reminiscent of the Cody Rhodes situation. Cody Rhodes should be ready to come back by the end of November, early December, but, but with WWE, with the injury timetable that they have given him, they gave him nine months, he'll be back before that and be ready to go before that, but they're intentionally going to save him for the Royal Rumble. They need Cody, but he's not absolutely, oh my God, we need to get Cody Rhodes back on television. So same thing with Becky Lynch. WWE's doing everything that they can to, you know, get us through Crown Jewel and get us through the Survivor Series at War Games, and Becky Lynch is not going to be needed back on television. That's why we're seeing such a heavy, heavy, you know, stance on damage control and and Bianca Belair and her girls on TV. They're doing this to buy time. Becky Lynch will be back, and I do think that Becky Lynch will be back by the Royal Rumble. I think that Becky Lynch will be back and get that same treatment like Cody Rhodes is supposedly going to get at the Royal Rumble, and she will win the Royal Rumble and challenge Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania in Los Angeles for the SmackDown Women's Championship. That's what I think is going to happen. We don't need Becky Lynch back on television right now. Uh, especially if Charlotte's on her way back and then maybe Sasha. Sasha, I just saw, is uh, training for an in-ring return. There were photographs floating around on social media of Sasha in-ring training. Clearly, that means something. We saw the same thing with Bright Wyatt, and all of a sudden, we saw him reemerge back on WWE television. We could be seeing the same thing with Sasha Banks and Naomi. So if, if we get Charlotte, Sasha, Naomi back, I mean, Becky Lynch, you know, though it's great to have her back, it's not going to be, oh, my God, we need Becky right now. We can keep Becky out and give her the proper return and built her for WrestleMania. Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson signed a big money deal to return to WWE. Fightful Select is reporting that Gallows and Anderson had interest in WWE while they were under Impact contract and weren't exactly shy about it. However, their Impact deal got extended by a month and they finished up in late August. They were working in New Japan Pro Wrestling without contracts, and Carl Anderson is still the never open weight champion. But it's not going to turn into the never going to defend that championship. FIFA had reported that the Good Brothers were working in New Japan without contracts. And had committed to dates through January's Wrestle Kingdom. And this was on a handshake agreement. It was confirmed to us at FIFA that New Japan Pro Wrestling were very aware that Gallows and Anderson were headed to WWE. And future New Japan Pro Wrestling dates are still happening. Even... We've even heard that from one side, there are hopes that the January 4th Tokyo Dome show is still on the table, but a lot can happen between now and then. FIFO was told that Anderson and Gallows were only under a verbal agreement in Japan, and those duties are being allowed to be fulfilled. However, they have officially signed with WWE for what was said to be a big money deal. Whatever that is, none of my business, none of your business. The fact that they worked under a handshake deal and it's being reported now that New Japan's president is very upset about Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows going to WWE. You know, it's something that I'm glad to say. They fit with AJ and, and uh, Good Brothers and a club feud with the Judgment Day it is basically money. It writes itself. I, I love it. I think it's great. But the thing is, this is pro wrestling. Like I said, yes, you can't trust anybody in this business. It was a handshake deal. Right There's no contract signed. WWE is going to get what they want because they have every fucking resource imaginable to get and get who they want and who they want at any given time. right? So with car Anderson and Gal, I don't know how much more time they think that they have left in this business. if they got a great money deal, big money deal from WWE, and they were going to get nowhere close to that with Impact and New Japan they jumped at the opportunity to take care of themselves and they know that this may be the end of the road for themselves. Holding a fucking never-open-weight championship, which is fucking bullshit anyway. Who gives a fuck about the never-open-weight championship? They don't give a fuck about that. But if Carl Anderson is, the right, is in the right frame of mind and he's a man, he would go and defend that championship. Now, he may actually want to do that. He and Luke Gallows may want to work Wrestle Kingdom and work New Japan. But does WWE ever give off the impression that they play well with others? No. No. So, more than likely, Carl Anderson, if by chance he's working the New York show that New Japan is doing, he may drop it there. At some point, he may have to give up the championship because WWE's not going to allow him to compete on New Japan uh, Wrestle Kingdom. I could be wrong, but WWE doesn't really allow their other talents, or their talents, I should say, to go work with other promotions. I don't know. We'll see what happens. And Triple H... He was the guy that we all looked upon to say, you know what? If there is a forbidden door, people were claiming this was a forbidden door. No, it's not. It's not. There's nowhere close to being a forbidden door. We always label that Triple H would be the one to play well with other promotions. And it seems like Triple H is honestly putting his foot down with a lot. And he's really just focused on making WWE the best that it could be. And he's not really giving a shit about other promotions, especially with what he has now planned out, mapped out a worldwide takeover. We're seeing take over Europe, take over Japan, take over Mexico, all of the plans that he had brought into existence before they blackballed him and removed him from power. All of that plan is now going to be back on the table. Triple H doesn't want to play well. Triple H wants to play in that sandbox all by himself. Switching gears to NXT before we wrap things up here on Off the Script 449. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show up until this point. Shawn Michaels reveals that WWE plans for the WWE to get out of the Performance Center for upcoming premium live events. Speaking with Scott Fishman of TV Insider, Michaels was asked whether he sees NXT shows like Halloween Havoc being held in traditional arenas moving forward. Now, clearly, Halloween Havoc took place at the Performance Center, which doesn't really give off premium live event vibes. But Shawn Michaels said this, and I quote, Absolutely. As you mentioned, we started with the Florida Loop, or the Coconut Loop, as we call them. We've briefly discussed getting out for our premium live events. Do we want to do that by the end of the year or start at the beginning of the new year? We had Stand and Deliver for WrestleMania weekend, which was the first of many of our talents being out of the Performance Center. It's certainly something we want to get back to doing. We have every intention of doing that. We're actually having talks on how we want to go about executing that. This will go beyond shows in the state of Florida for certainly premium live events, but regular live events as well. As you know, this is part of the developmental process. They have to get out there and perform on the main roster all around the world. They might as well get their feet wet in NXT. If WWE wants to even bring the pay-per-views to Full Sail University, it would be a fucking welcome change to the environment for the premium live events. Now, I don't know how likely that is, but I would love to see that, especially for the premium live events if they're not going to leave Florida for the time being. You're not going to be filling a Barclays Center like NXT TakeOver New York, okay? They did it with Stand and Deliver, and I I guarantee you they had no more than 3,000 people fill that fucking arena for Stand and Deliver. NXT is not a brand that is being highly sought after. You're not going to watch NXT and see 16,000 fucking people fill an arena to watch Black and Gold like they used to back in the day. If WWE wants to bring NXT on the road, fine. If they want to do premium live events, that cannot happen at the Performance Center. Either Full Sail University to give it a different feel, or other smaller arenas like AEW runs with dynamite. That would be perfect for NXT. Running them outside of NXT, or a- a- NXT events outside of the Performance Center would be such a welcome change to the brand. New fans, not that fucking cringy, same old fucking bullshit crowd that we see in the Performance Center where they love everything and they hate nothing. It sucks, okay? Those are very, very, very biased fans. WWE needs to get out of the Performance Center. I'm not saying they can't run weekly television at the Performance Center, but they need to do what they can to get out on the road and give premium live events a special feel. So we'll see what happens moving into 2023. And finally, guys, if you watched Halloween Havoc, we talked about this briefly on the post-show last night. During Halloween Havoc, we saw T-Bar, Don, Don uh, Dijakovic, Dominic Dijakovic. T-Bar, he was part of the Retribution staple created by Vince McMahon. The Retribution storyline fell apart, and wrestlers like T-Bar floundered on the main roster with Vince McMahon in charge. It looks like the current regime is attempting to give Dijakovic a fresh coat of paint. During the Halloween Havoc post-show media call, Shawn Michaels gave credit to NXT writer Johnny Russo. I don't think there's a relation to bro, Vince Russo, bro, for coming up with the idea to burn the mask, and he did not deny that the vignette is to signal the end of the T-Bar character. The change for T-Bar Dijakovic has been rumored for some time because PW Insider reported back in August that there was talk of repackaging him. T bar has deleted most of his tweets. One of the deleted tweets was posted back in August, said, and I quote, I sense something, a presence I have not felt since, end quote. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, why don't you bring Dominic Dodjakovic back on the main roster? Is he main roster ready? Absolutely. Dominic Dodjakovic is absolutely main roster ready. He wrestles like a main roster performer. And I said he would have looked great in Judgment Day alongside Damian Priest and Finn Balor and Dominic and Rhea Ripley. Now, clearly that's not happening. So why are we moving him back down to NXT? The reason why Dominic Dajakovic is being moved back down to NXT is because he has had, and he's worked main event, he's worked superstars, and he's worked with guys like Ali and Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. He's gotten his reps in. But he hasn't been in front of a live audience. Nobody knows who he is. If you're going to send Dominic Dijakovic out there on Monday Night Raw without anybody knowing who he is, what good is that going to do Domin- Dominic Dijakovic? It's not going to do him good at all. So what the mindset here is, and you know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. The mindset here is with Dijakovic going back down to NXT. It gives them another main event guy. Number one, okay, gives them a main event guy. It gives him the opportunity to reset himself. It gives him the opportunity to erase everything that Vince did. Work in front of that crowd that is going to treat him like a superstar. Work in front of that crowd that is going to give him the reaction that he deserves to get his feet wet again, to feel the energy of a crowd, to get in there and work with guys that are you know somewhat on the up and some of the veterans down there. Work and get your feet wet weekly. Become and feel like a main event guy in front of that audience. Win a couple of championships. And then when you're ready again, because he was ready then and they fucked him up, now he's got to start over. And when you're ready again, then you can go to the main roster where Triple H, Daddy, uh, Papa H is going to take care of you and you'll be on your way. At that point, you'll have that feeling back, that passion back and being in front of that live audience. You'll have your new character People will know who you are. You will have made a name for yourself via social media and working the weekly television shows and the premium live events. This is a good move. You know, for people like me who have known about Dodjakovic for many years and seen his work in the black and gold, yes, we know what he can do and what he's capable of. But seeing Dominic Dodjakovic back on the main roster would have been great. This is going to be more for Dominic Dodjakovic to get his feet wet, get his name out there, get his name in the WWE Universe well known. And then make the jump when he is ready and most importantly, when the fans are ready. Guys, that's all I got for you. Thank you so very much for all of your supports. I I wanted to go live tonight, but you, you gotta you gotta understand going live when there's a Phillies Padres game, a Yankees Astros game, which is a clinching game for the Astros, basketball, and Sunday night football. I mean, who the fuck is gonna end up watching me? Right. So I figured you guys can get this. You'll watch it at your, uh, your earliest convenience and at your leisure. It'll be in your sub boxes. I don't have to set a time and a date when you guys want to watch other things. You can watch me during the commercials of all these different games and sporting events that are on. So that's the reason why I wasn't live this week. We'll pick that up next week, and we'll start fresh on Monday. But the one thing I'm happy about is that I got everything that I might have missed when it was dropped early in the week because I was on vacation in Ireland. We are now completely caught up on all of the WWE and AEW news right here on off the script. And that makes me very happy, man, because I love giving you guys the news and I love expressing my opinion in this great community. Anyway, guys, follow me on social media at JD NY 206. That's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and cameo. Make sure you guys hit that thumbs up a thousand likes minimum on today's OTS four, four, nine, hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for notifications. And go check out all the other content that you might have missed that is on the homepage right now. SmackDown on Friday, NXT Halloween Havoc on Saturday night, and yesterday's episode 448, AEW edition of Off The Script. Go and check that out, all on the homepage right now. Guys, the next time you'll see me is with the brand new week of content we got coming up. A little bit of extra, and we got Monday Night Raw live tomorrow night. I'll be back in the venue live on Monday night right here. On off the script. Guys, enjoy the rest of the weekend and I'll see you back live on Monday Night Raw.